0: Hi, this
1: is Adam Struck of Struck Crypto.
0: Hi, this is Alana Dickman of Red Beard Ventures.
1: And John Nance of Sustany Capital. And you're tuned into Edge of NFT, your choice for the best Web3 news and content. Keep listening. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by
2: Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next.
3: Hello, everyone. This is Josh Krieger, co-host of Edge of NFT, and we are live today from Expert Dojo in Santa Monica. This is a special live audience event thanks to Crypto Mondays and Startup Coil. And I'll be moderating this exciting panel regarding the state of Web3 and emerging tech capital markets with an amazing lineup of top-notch investors in the space, including Adam Strzok, Alana Dickman, John Nance. And we will get into it. But first and foremost, a little background on our panelists. Adam is a Forbes 30 Under 30 honoree. And has Struck Crypto, he's been one of our featured guests at Edge of NFT, which we really enjoyed, so we wanted to have him back again. And now we're going to go a little bit deeper. How are you doing today, Adam? Doing well. How are you? Doing great. And then we also have Alana, who's another Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient, two-on-one panel. Check that out. And she's a partner at Red Bear Adventures. She leverages her financial acumen to host the Girls' Table podcast and made a mark as an angel investor for various projects. She just got off a live stream with Lisa Carmen Wang promoting her new book, Bad Bitch Bible. That's a rocking financial self-help categories everywhere. We're also really glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
3: And last but definitely not least, we have John. He's the chief investment officer and general partner at Sustaining Capital, a prominent investment firm with a keen focus on sustainable innovation technologies Leveraging experience at White Lion Capital, Dealbox, Sterling Global Strategies, among others, to dive into sustainable investments and innovation in the industry. How about that, guys? Let's give it up for our great panel.
2: You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your bag? Or, have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And, does blockchain taste better, barbecued? or (laughs) deep-fried. Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore, because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things. Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients, IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. (laughs) So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code OF for 50% off and start your next block today.
3: So I chose this topic because I thought this was a conversation that has everyone sort of in a debate right now globally. What's really going on in the Web3 space, in the AI space? Is it the end of the world? Are NFTs dead? Or are we going through some sort of evolution? I'd love each of you to start by sharing your
4: perspective on the current state of Web3. Where are we today? From our perspective, we have a pretty unique lens because we have a Web2 fund called Start Capital, a crypto fund called Struck Crypto, and then we have a venture studio where we're building companies. I would say right now, when I look at the crypto space, we're cautiously optimistic. We're a registered investment advisor, so we have to be very careful with how we buy and sell or, or just invest into Web3 generally. So obviously the regulatory uncertainty and, and essentially the SEC going AWOL on the entire space is kind of difficult. But what I would say, though, is when we look at sort of 2024 when we look at the upcoming Bitcoin halving, the inevitable Bitcoin ETF, Ethereum continuing to you know, move to proof of stake and shipping new upgrades, there are many reasons to be optimistic. So I think for us, what we don't want to do is sort of be pedal to the metal investors and in bull markets slam the brake in bear markets. We just want to run our process with blinders on, do a bunch of diligence and invest because we have dry powder and that's what we're doing. So I think for us, it's sort of cautiously optimistic and just making sure if we're investing in a project, there's a sustainability sort of aspect to it, sustainable unit economics, the tokens there for a reason. And these founders actually want to build because they're passionate about the space versus getting rich quick.
0: I would say right now, it's definitely a builder's market. Back two years ago, you would see deal flow and you'd see a deal and you had 24 hours to basically decide if you want to invest in the deal. And if you didn't invest, somebody else would put in the money and the round would close. And so right now, a lot of people are building. We're seeing a lot more high quality projects and people are here not just to go do a money grab, but they're actually building something that has a lot of value. We are also tend to focus on a lot of companies right now, specifically in the Web3 space, that's targeting more Web2 companies. Because first off, Web3 companies right now don't tend to have a lot of money to actually go ahead and pay for marketing, pay for loyalty. But if they're actually taking the Web3 technology and marketing towards Web2 companies, that's where we're seeing a ton of value.
1: Yeah, so we call ourselves Sustaining Capital because we invest in sustainable business models and technologies. And so from our perspective, we don't do any investing into tokens and we haven't owned a lot of crypto in quite some time now, but we really work with entrepreneurs in the space and inside of our portfolio that are focused on building the digital infrastructures themselves. So the way that we think about this, to Alana's point, is really about forcing functions and not necessarily having to make an argument for why your product or service needs to generate some sort of adoption or product market fit. And so from that perspective, Really taking a firm look at what we consider to be non-optional technology—the things that we feel like should exist and are driving societal benefit or economic benefit at a fundamental level—and so from that perspective, a lot of things that are not falling into those categories are having a really tough time with their burn rates and raising additional capital, and really being able to prove out the business model or the product or service that they've been launching. And so we're very much in a more of a wait-and-see pattern here, but we. We do a lot of this ourselves via our Skunk Works programming division that we run out of the UCI research facility. And so we have two like live apps on the Dapp store right now that I'm happy to share with anybody if you want to talk about them afterwards. But ultimately, it's a difficult environment out there. And we think it's important to focus on things that really have fundamental forcing functions and not something that's difficult to explain to a consumer.
3: Right on. I appreciate everyone's perspective. And I just got back from two weeks in Asia where there's a lot of different perspectives on what is going to carry us into the next bull market from investment thesis perspective. And there was four themes, I would say, that kept coming up over and over again. So I want to make this spicy. And like, instead of being able to say, yeah, those are all interesting, let's force rank them as a group. And if there's some contrast, that's totally fine. So one of those themes was decentralized social We all know about the challenges with X. I have trouble even saying the word X. There's plenty of examples where decentralization of social is really interesting. Another topic is gaming. While some people would say we've been through the GameFi heat, I can just tell you from talking to all these big gaming companies that are still pivoting to Web3, For their fundamental thesis, there's a lot of game development happening right now. A lot of really interesting AAA games and all sorts of different games going on with blockchain components. The third area that I hear a lot about, we just had Adidas on the show, is about using loyalty and rewards to sort of spearhead Web2 companies, right? So that's a third major area. And the last, of course, is DeFi. There's comments right now that DeFi is holding steady relative to the other markets, so let's just play a game of force ranking these areas. And if there's something I'm missing, let me know, because maybe I'm interested in investing in that area, too. But Adam, you're used to being put on the spot. You've been on the
4: show. How would you rank these four categories? I'll start with last place first. I think we all remember the BitCloud deso debacle. So I'm going to go with distributed social. You're not a fan of friend tech? Yeah, I'm going to put that last. I think loyalty and rewards is definitely an important sort of component using crypto economics to incentivize behavior with microtransactions. That makes a lot of sense, but I don't see that as its own category. I think there are ways to do that in a Web2 space in a centralized manner as well. So I think that should be like an important feature, but I'm going to put a little lower because I don't think it's its own category. All right, I'll go with DeFi as number two because I'm very biased towards gaming because we were the first investor in Mythical Games, which I think is one of the only companies in the Web3 space with their launch of NFL Rivals that has actually sort of bridged the gap of sort of true sort of Web3 NFT, distributed sports, gaming, et cetera. And they've really hit escape velocity. They're like the number two app right now in the whole app store for sports. So that's been pretty amazing to see all their users. I kind of want to do gaming and DeFi as a tie. On the DeFi front, we're very interested in RWA's real world assets. We think think that could be like a real sort of Just to incentivize a lot of bullish behaviors, people start putting actual assets on chain. And then there's just a lot of sort of plumbing and infrastructure that you need to figure out. One of the things we're flirting with at the studio level is essentially just being almost like a verticalized Oracle to be sort of agnostic with various qualified custodians and just put people in a position that when they're looking at a real-world asset that's tokenized on-chain, that they have verification in real time that there's a tangible asset that's actually authenticated that's collateralizing that token in real time. So sort of that on-chain, off-chain sort of issue. So yeah, those are my four.
3: Very cool. So you actually are to thank my girlfriend for my latest distraction, which is NFL Rivals. Is anyone here a John Madden fan? Anyone played Madden? I'm a Madden right. fan. Yeah. I would say NFL Rivals kicks Madden's butt, and it's all in the blockchain. And you don't know that you're playing a game with NFTs and sort of a blockchain marketplace. You're just playing an awesome game. So if you're looking for a new late night addiction, highly recommend NFL Rivals. And I can see where you're coming from there. So, all right, do we have any disagreement among our other illustrious panelists?
0: I was going to say something similar, but Adam said it a lot better than I ever could. But I was going to say that probably rewarding is definitely more of a feature that I see. You won't know that using blockchain-based technology, you're in the Starbucks app, you're getting your loyalty, you don't know that they're using the blockchain now. So I was going to put them as last. And then decentralized social as second to last. I do believe that something's going to come in and disrupt X, I still call it Twitter, and some of the other applications that we currently use. I just don't think friend tech where you're going out trying to get people to buy your token is necessarily what's going to be the thing that's going to actually make an impact. But I do believe that something's going to come in that we don't have yet, where you could actually own your followers, own the people that are actually taking the time, move it across different applications. And so, I mean, right now, you could do that with newsletters. Like, you could go on Substack, and then you could go on Beehive, you could take off your subscribers, put it back on, and it's like, why can't you do that on Twitter? Why can't you do it on Instagram? So I do see one time where you're actually going to be able to, to decentralize social, to own your followers, to own like, everything that you put your time in. In terms of DeFi and gaming, I'd say gaming is probably first for me, especially with interoperability. I believe that when you play a game, you're spending all this time, there shouldn't be an abundant amount of like the top limited edition characters or limited edition weapons. I believe that there should only be like a few. And then if you have that, you should actually be able to own it and then resell it. So I think most games will have to use infrastructure that will enable interoperability between different gaming assets so
1: yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with my fellow panelists. I think just in adding to what they've already shared about some of these categories, just as an anecdote, something interesting we've seen in the gaming space has been in relation to working with very high quality media assets. So think about some of the brands that I won't name because I can't talk about the business, but they're all household names. You guys have seen these movies. You watch these shows on television. They're designing a set of games around all of these. But to Alana's point about interoperability, the cool part is if you you're playing a specific character, you have a certain asset that you purchase in one of these properties, you can actually transfer that to any of their upcoming games coming out in the future. So these things actually become assets, not expenses, as you're playing these games. Yes, they can be resold, but the thing that stood out to me is that you can transfer them across the games, across the other properties. So as you have like an affinity for a franchise, for example, say you're a big Call of Duty player or something like that, it would be really interesting to be able to carry over those assets that you spend a lot of time earning or spending money for in those other environments. And then on the DeFi front, that's definitely number one for us. We're some of the earliest investors in Figure Providence. Provenance is a new blockchain that Figure has developed. Figure is founded by Mike Cagney. You guys probably all know Mike Cagney, especially because we're in LA. He's the founder of SoFi. And this is his kind of next version for what the future of lending looks like and unlocking the ability to purchase real estate, access home equity lines of credits. And if you need a validating function for that, they issued $5 billion worth of HELOC on the platform last year alone. So those are the kinds of things where if you're talking to somebody who doesn't necessarily like believe that these things are real, it's-
3: Hello again, Web3 Curious listeners. If you're tuning into our podcast, we'd love for you to connect with us on our social media channels. Let us know what aspects of the show you love and what or who you're eager to hear more about. Your insights help us refine the show and bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Thanks for sticking with us. Back to the episode.
1: Very real. Very real.
3: Right on. I appreciate the perspective from everyone on the panel. So something that's been on my mind a lot lately, just if you pay attention to the news and also sort of the energy going on in Asia relative to the U.S. is is the U.S. market falling behind in terms of Web3, other countries. I'm sure you all look at companies that are not just based in the U.S. and in companies that are not just marketing to the U.S. So I'm really curious, From a regulatory landscape perspective, are we falling
1: behind? I'll start on that one. The answer is absolutely in our eyes. Not so much on the like securities regulation framework, but we look at a lot of the blockchain industry as a major solution for like identity management and also like just general human rights around data privacy. And so if you follow things like GDPR versus the CCPA here in the States, the differences are very, very clear in how Europe thinks around the, these types of regulatory environments as opposed to the US. And so a lot of the time, what we'll look for is, how we can take one of these technologies from a data privacy standpoint and actually help implement them in a place where their regulation is advanced from a point of privacy. And we see that happening a lot in Europe and also in sub-Saharan Africa of all places. And from a demographic standpoint, it's very interesting, right? We use this analogy internally where when the first telecommunications were installed in Africa, they didn't port a copper cable line to give you a dial-up phone in these locations. They gave you a smartphone, right? And so in today's environment, I'm sure some of the audience has heard these analogies before, but These people are getting leapfrogging, right, in terms of technology when they're getting exposed to what's happened already technologically in other, quote, developed countries. And so from that perspective, it creates a really unique opportunity for some of these other environments and geographies to, in some ways, surpass where a lot of the developed nations are in terms of technology. And a lot of that has to do with regulation.
3: You guys have a new accelerator that Redbird's doing. I'm sure you gave some consideration to this in terms of the criteria for choosing companies and where they're focused. What's your perspective on this?
0: Yeah, so we started an accelerator called Denari Labs. It's actually a tokenomics-based accelerator. So really, we're dealing with tokens. We're trying to help them find utility For their tokens, it's definitely an interesting question. I mean, the U.S. is going to fall behind if they don't get their regulations for crypto-based currency, for being able to invest in tokens, and especially for companies who are dropping tokens, and the utility behind it, I think... Right now for us, like we were really focused just on the companies because I believe regulation is going to come in the space. It's just a matter of not if, but when. So especially the accelerator, we were still just focused more on finding companies that have a token that really had utility as opposed to just focus on locations that they're building in.
3: So are some of those companies based in the U.S. and they have a mm-hmm. token, but it's a utility token in your mind?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, one, it's like Truth Labs. If people know the NFT project, Goblin Town, they're working on creating characters and using their IP. And that's one, for instance, that's based in Delaware. It's an LLC. So that's one that's based here.
4: Adam, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think regulatory uncertainty definitely hinders core technology innovation. I do think, though, on the flip side, there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened. Oh, we curse on the <laughs> show. Okay, a lot of crazy shit that happened over the last few years. I think we really need some regulation to fix a lot of that. At the end of the day, I think I agree with the rest of the panelists here. There will come a time where there is more regulatory certainty. And up until that point, if other jurisdictions surpass the U.S. in providing that certainty, that's obviously going to hinder progress locally. For us as a fund, we're structured with essentially offshore entities because we want to sort of minimize all contests with the United States. What I think has also sort of happened, and I think that one of you touched on this a little bit, is there are now really strong builders in Web3 building in L.A. or Silicon Valley. They're petrified of launching a token, even though in theory that token could have some utility for what they're trying to do. And then they're trying to play just like the regular, like bottoms up or top down enterprise SaaS game. And the problem is all the buyer personas in Web3 have no willingness to pay. So we're sitting there and we're saying, gosh, you just converted Yuga Labs and it's a $4,000 ACV. And I'm like, your unit economics are upside down. This makes absolutely no sense. So it's really, really difficult right now for builders in the US. And there's no question about it. There will be long-term effects unless we can get some regulatory certainty Sooner
0: rather than later.
3: So, as an investor with a long term thesis, how do you navigate these challenges short term?
0: I think we just keep investing. Like, even though the market is a bear market, we're still looking at companies. We're actively investing. I mean, you can't just hold off investing because it's a bear market. I think that that's actually the best time to invest, to look at companies, to look at projects. So right now, I mean, we're keeping busy. We're just really honing in on our thesis and continuing to look and diligence companies to keep busy.
3: So going down that path, valuations are way down for everything from small emerging projects to big players like Muga and even Mutants and Bored Apes. So how does that affect your sort of perspective on impact and ROI for these companies? And would you say that valuations and value are synonymous or different?
0: I mean, do you think Yuga Labs should have had a, what, $4 billion valuation?
3: Maybe not. (laughs)
0: I just think like valuations are way higher than they ever should have been. If you look at some of the projects that were raising versus their revenue projections, where they were headed, a lot of it if were going to go down the road of NFT specific. It was one time revenue. They had no way to get like ARR, uh, they had no way to get additional revenue. So they were basing a lot of their valuations off of this one time drop that they had with actual no utility behind it. And-
3: I mean, with those one time revenue bursts came years of liabilities, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think you're seeing a lot of projects right now also merge and a lot of acquisitions in that space because people are trying to get out of it because they're not really having much value for their investors or their holders.
1: I think that's right. And Adam alluded to it as well, you know, like it's flipped the business models on their head. So when the unit economics start to look like what he described, it's very difficult to justify a valuation like that. I think the other thing that's interesting is when you have more of like, let's call it a free floating valuation because of liquidity of some of these types of assets, it's really difficult because you're getting intense swings in these valuations or perceived valuations because you're dealing with a more liquid market. So when you bring that kind of liquidity to something, that early stage, it's difficult to figure out whether or not it's sustainable long term.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a ton of founders that I know that were able to get protocols off the ground and they're on Binance and they have a lot of liquidity for their token. They don't care about revenue at all. Like they literally just care about supply demand mechanics associated with their token, which is a kind of really weird (laughs) concept to understand. I think it's very plausible that true enterprise value can decouple from the valuation you're getting, especially in a liquid market. And uh, that can be really dangerous. I'll say for us, because we're also investing in web two SaaS companies through Star Capital, I'm still amazed at the frothiness from a valuation perspective in Web3 right now. I would say at least 50% of projects are still coming to us with what they believe the pre-money or post-money valuation should be. Whereas, like on the web two side, like that's not how it works. Like you go to market, you get term sheets. That's your valuation. So I still think it's necessary for there to be a bit of like a mental shift. I think some people still haven't like come down from the irrational exuberance that was 2021. But yeah, hopefully we'll get there slowly but surely.
3: Cool. Well, speaking of exuberance, there's definitely a lot of conversation and interest in the AI space. That's why we started a new podcast, Edge of AI. And it's been a fun conversation to get to know different folks. But AI has been around for a while. There's a lot of different use cases in a lot of different categories of AI tech, I'm curious what you all find the most interesting from an investment perspective. And also, given the rate of innovation, what is a defensible moat that's even achievable for an emerging company in the space when so much of the technology is easy to replicate now and scale much faster than it was even a couple of years ago?
4: Yes, I can jump on that one. So for us, we're really trying to still develop a thesis in terms of like AI and blockchain and what we're actually interested in. The concept of like an immutable ledger solving the black box problem for AI, it makes a lot of sense, but we still haven't seen a company come to us that is like actually putting that into a model that makes sense that we can invest in. On the Web2 side, so non-crypto related, we sort of look at the totality of the stack, sort of foundation model, LLM at the bottom, middleware, and then application layer. And then obviously the ground zero would be the actual hardware the GPUs themselves. We're not touching anything on the hardware side and we're definitely not touching the foundation models. We're going to leave that to the multi-billion dollar companies just because you could literally be in a situation that you put something out and then your competitor puts out a new version and everything you just spent time on is commoditized. So we're a lot It's more happening in- like literally week by week right? Week by week. By week. Yeah, yeah. So we're a lot more interested in middleware what we would call like LLM enablers. So like, for example, if you're an enterprise like Goldman Sachs, you have a lot of proprietary information, you realize that like you could use a foundation model to create various synergies and efficiencies in your business. But like, how are you actually going to get comfortable at the enterprise level, allowing an LLM to potentially interact with your proprietary data? How are you going to essentially allow your employees, like which way are they sharing data? What's permission, what's not? So companies that are sort of enabling the enterprise to actually access the benefits of an LLM, like that's a middleware solution that we'd be very interested in. And then, yeah, obviously things at the application layer are interesting, but you have to be careful that it's not just an LLM wrapper if you just slap some fancy UI UX on top of ChatGPT, it may look really cool, but that's commoditized. There's no sort of sustainable business model.
1: Right. John, did you send something to add? Yeah, no, I mean, we're kind of similar to what Adam said. I like the middleware piece. But again, to what I was talking about with respect to forcing functions, we look at it from an investment standpoint as a really amazing opportunity to invest in more secure infrastructure itself. So we take a look at various different data centers that are doing things completely off grid, have... Uh, really advanced cooling solutions and data privacy management things that can enable the environment that these types of models want to host their VPSs on and, and do all of their bandwidth compute through. So from our perspective, it's really more of an infrastructure exposure for us than it is the actual software.
3: Right on. So another sort of regular debate on this topic is around open source versus sort of closed platforms around AI The idea being that we need open source for transparency, for the future of humanity. And it's also sort of a powerful platform for building on, are you guys more inclined towards open source
4: types of middleware projects? Or are you sort of agnostic to that consideration? I'll just say from my perspective, obviously, when you think about like Skynet and like what AI could be, I think Sam Altman was quoted the other day saying like, AI can harvest the infinite power of the universe, something to that extent. So when you hear stuff like that, it's a little scary. You want it to be open source. You want there not to be a black box problem. We get very concerned about sort of just a lack of objectivity or bias inherent in the vector databases that are training foundation models. So like that, that's a really scary thing. There could be bias that you're not even aware of, and it could literally get to a point where it influences how everybody thinks. So, yeah, in that sense, I'm a fan of open source, but I'm also a capitalist and I understand that there is a race to sort of secure various proprietary data sets and use that to train your models that you outperform. So probably going to be a mix of both. We also need some regulatory clarity there as well.
3: Right on. And Alana, how are you all looking at AI?
0: Yeah, so we actually just did an investment really recently. It's called BrightVine. It's helping with mortgage-backed securities, helping with the reconciliation. So it's using AI to actually look through the data, what a human would usually do. And then it's using blockchain-based technology to actually encrypt that data. So from our perspective, we're looking at things that are a feature, but I wouldn't necessarily think that we're looking... AI as a whole, and as one of our investment thesis, we have a syndicate and a fund. So the fund is specific to Web3 Crypto, pre-seed seed, and the syndicate could do kind of any stage, any sector. So we're still looking at a lot of AI companies right now, but I think there really has to be another kind of business model and touch point apart from just building on top of chat, GBT, things like that.
3: Cool. So we started a little late and we have another great talk coming up next. But I want to give the audience a chance to ask a question or two. If anyone has a burning question, feel free to raise your hand and then I'll sort of repeat it back in the mic. Any questions? Yes. So we just had Lucas on the show that episode released, I think, this week. So
4: check it out. What do we think about pudgy penguins and what they're up to? Yeah, so i say from my perspective, like with Mythical Games, it's definitely a thesis that we believe could, in theory, work. The concept of bridging the gap between digital assets in the metaverse and physical assets in real life and taking the utility that people experience in the real world and bringing that to the virtual world, it makes a lot of sense. I know for Mythical, they've experimented a lot with essentially like uh, Blanco space trading cards that you could collect the cards then you could scan the NFT and then play like a really cool blank host in game that then would be rare. And then in theory, supply demand mechanics could make money off of that by trading it. So I do think it makes a lot of sense. It's not necessarily a business we would invest in for a variety of reasons. But I definitely think the company that cracks sort of bridging real world tangible assets with sort of assets on the metaverse and explaining that things like digital scarcity are just as important as real world scarcity. There could be a lot of enterprise value there.
3: There's also a lot of entertainment value in their Instagram. They had a recent cartoon about someone that woke up from a power nap at 3 a.m. and thought it was wasn't sure what day it was. So that was very relatable to me. They're doing a good job of sort of consumerizing their brand at the very least. Right. Other questions? Yes. So your perspective on the popularity of the current fundraising environment and what's changed over the last few months there?
0: Yeah, I would say that there's definitely, at least from a VC perspective, a little bit more pushback on the valuations that people throw out there. I mentioned this earlier, but we're really focused on, we still believe in blockchain as a whole and the actual technology. So we're looking at Web3 companies that are targeting more Web2 companies. And that's something that we're focusing on because we feel like a lot of people right now are struggling with their go-to-market strategy, how they are acquiring customers. And if they're actually using the technology of the blockchain, but not necessarily just then trying to get other Web3 projects on then we're seeing a ton of more value.
3: And one more question. Yes, from the back. So Keith's asking Are royalties for creators coming back at some point
0: they might. That's a lot of why people were excited about NFTs in the first place. I think it depends on what it is. If it's just a piece of art, like obviously you want it to go back to the artist. But I think in the future, we're looking at a ticketing protocol. So let's just say we're Taylor Swift, we drop the tickets. I don't think there they would take away royalties. I think at the end of the day, it's always going to be going back to Taylor Swift and those types of marketplaces. and ticketing protocols will require you to have whatever the royalty is involved. But when we're talking about just NFTs, I mean, I think that they're just trying to get more people to buy random apes and other NFT projects. But I think as a whole, when there's really utility behind it, then people will be willing to pay the royalty and spend it.
3: Yeah, there's a new platform launching or recently launched called Creatorhood that came out um, on the show. It's Creator with a K, and they're sort of building in these features into their platform. I think some of that is happening. On the flip side, it's really challenging if you want to broaden your market, create interoperability, cross-chain, cross-platform to uphold it. It's, It's virtually impossible, sort of the complexity in that matter. Well, this has been really cool to really get a fresh perspective on all these things that keep coming up in the news and kind of diving deeper into it. Thank you all for your time. Where can folks go to learn more about you guys and your respective
4: venture capital firms, Adam? We're on Twitter, at Struck Crypto. Um, you go to our website as well. Our office is here in Santa Monica, right next to Lionsgate. And yeah, we always want to jam with people, uh, especially that are local. So if you're trying to build, let us know.
0: Yeah, so personally, I'm under Trading Female on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn, just under Alana Dickman. My fun is RedBeard.Ventures is our website. We also have an Angelus syndicate. So if you are looking at just kind of starting... Your startup journey and angel investing, you could really go on Angel List if you're an accredited investor and follow different syndicates and invest in different deal flow that you find interesting. So, yeah, let me know.
1: LinkedIn's best for me. I don't spend a lot of time. Is it Twitter? Are we still calling it Twitter? Twitter. Twitter. Uh, yeah. X I, I can't call it X X. Twitter. Sorry, Elon Musk. No. So LinkedIn is good for me. My name's John Nance and you can look us up online at susteny.vc. And if anybody finds themselves in Orange County, I guess I'm the only non-LA panelist. So look me up if you're in Newport Beach. All right.
3: Respect to Orange County. So before we end this session, I'd just like to thank our partners who made this live podcast for Edge of NFT possible. Shout out to Crypto Mondays, Startup Coil, LA Tech Happy Hour, and lastly, Expert Dojo. You can access their websites on our show notes, as well as applying for an investment at Expert Dojo, which is definitely one of the local folks to check out. So we've reached the outer limit at the Edge of NFT for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship. So invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us and see something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edgeofnft with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for some more great Web3 content. Thank you.
1: The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy.